Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is January 31st, 2024. We continue our new series, Kingdom Legacy, and we are in Song of Solomon, Chapter 4. As we continue this, you can tell my voice is still scratchy, still raspy. I had someone ask me, why haven't I rested it? I need to rest it. And I say, well, it's hard to do when you have a job that requires you to speak. But it's getting stronger. I feel getting stronger. I feel well, not sick. Just lost my voice from earlier this year. But let's start with Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Let's begin reading the passage. It says, Behold... You are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shown sheep, which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins, and none is bearing among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like pieces of pomegranate. Your neck is like tower of david built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers all shields of mighty men your two breasts are like two fawns twins of a gazelle which feed among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee away i will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense you are all fair my love and there is no spot in you Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon, from the lion's den and from the mountains of the leopards. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look in your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love. And the scent of your perfumes and all spices. Your lips, O my spouse, drip as a honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up. A fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchid of pomegranates. With pleasant fruits. Fragrant henna and spikenard. Spikenard and saffron. Calamus and cinnamon. With all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, O come, O south, blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. I know there's so much there, and of course the poetry. Um, 
can get rather crazy at times. We're looking at chapter 4 of Song of Solomon, and we are again. We look at this as Christ and his church, his bride. That is the interpretation that we are using. If we were looking at this as Solomon and one of his wives or a man and a woman, uh, there'd be a little bit different interpretation to the symbolism. But we're looking at this as Christ and the church. And like previous passages or previous chapters, chapter 3 was that dark night of the soul. But here in chapter four, I would I would almost want to title this a, you know, a, the unveiling of identity, because this this chapter begins with the groom speaking. You might have a Bible if you're using a New King James or something that says the beloved, and that that's the groom. This would be Christ speaking, and it is Christ that is speaking, the groom all the way through the chapter until verse 16 when the Shulamat or the bride, which would be the church, speaks. And it's just a, a, a few, well, it's one verse. It's, you know, five or six lines in a, in a Bible maybe, but one verse. It doesn't take up much. And the whole chapter is the, the groom speaking to the bride, speaking about the bride and telling the bride really, her identity. So let's let's jump into this. Begins in verse one. Just some things I want to point out. Again, we're going to go verse by verse, but we also have to go very quickly to fit this in in the time that we have for this podcast. But verse one: Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. Um, here the groom is speaking, and he's making this declaration, telling the bride that she is fair. And when we say fair, we're not meaning you know like. You're fair to everyone, and you're as I'm a justice thing. This is speaking of character because earlier we saw the bride when she said she was dark. And we're not talking about skin color, we're talking about the bride recognizing the sin and the brokenness that is within her that she's not acceptable. And the, the groom, of course call her fair and talked about how he made her fair. But here the, the the groom, Jesus is speaking to us, the church, and he's saying, he's declaring his love and he's saying, behold, we are fair. In other words, we look beautiful to him. We, we He's not seeing flaws in us. And he says this twice. You know, when God has to repeat himself, it's important. So he, he repeats himself twice here. And we're going to see as we go through this that He's also going to repeat this again later on. So it's like he's going to repeat himself twice and then he's going to repeat his repeat twice. So this is very important. He wants us to see that he has cleaned us. He has made us fair. He goes, you have dove eyes behind your veil. Again, we talked about the dove eyes in a previous chapter. The the eyes being your your spiritual sight. You know, how you can spiritually see. And doves can only see forward. They can't see in the peripheral. So his, his bride has eyes that's only looking forward. Jesus said he doesn't want us looking to the right or the left. You know, we're not fit for the kingdom. His bride, his, she has dove eyes. They're beautiful. They only gaze forward at him. And 
This is important because what is it that the enemy wants to blind? The enemy wants to make us blind spiritually. He wants to blind our eyes to the truth. But here the Lord is saying that, no, 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 he, he sees our eyes. Um, going on, your your hair is like a, fl- a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. You know, we, we may, as a shepherd, he oversees a flock, but that flock is usually sheep. Goats are always linked to being herds. Um, so what's, what's this about? Well, let's, let's get into this a little bit. Goats have hair. Sheep have wool. There's a lot of animals that have fur, but goats have hair. And hair is important. Hair is very symbolic. Hair is symbolic of separation or separation to God. I was going to say from God, excuse me. It's separation to God. That's what, it, that's what it, it symbolically means. That's why it, it's also very symbolic of spiritual strength, spiritual covering, and obedience. There's a whole chapter in the New Testament that talks about spiritual coverings, and it brings in hair because it's not talking about the actual hair and, and you, know, you wear a hat. It's talking about spiritual coverings and obedience. You know, when Samson was a Nazarite, see, Nazarite would take a vow, and they would... For a time, they would separate themselves to God. And they'd go in and they'd make a vow and they would shave their hair. And then they'd burn that hair as an offering. And from that moment until their vow was complete, they would not touch their hair. And a razor could not touch their hair. They couldn't cut or shave their, their head. So they would shave it for the beginning of this Nazarite vow, this time of separation to God. But they wouldn't cut their hair until they finished it. That's why when Samson who was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth and his whole life, he broke all the points of the Nazarite vow up until Delilah shaved his head. So when she shaved his head, there wasn't anything magical about the strength in his hair. It was the last thing left that was keeping him in his 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 obedience and his oath. It was his covering. And when that was gone, his spiritual strength was gone. So <clears throat> I know that's a little long for this, but just we can just talk about hair but here the bride's hair he you know he's he's talking about it's it's like a flock of goats coming down mount gilead see the goats are coming down mount gilead because the shepherd has called them and they're obediently coming nothing makes a shepherd happier than when he calls and his his sheep or his goats come i know a lot of ranchers they take a lot of pride if they go out in the field and have horses or cows and they can just whistle or call out a certain word and even though you can't see them, they just come running from wherever they are. They can hear him and they come run. He doesn't have to go get them. They're obedient to his voice. And that's what the groom is saying about his bride is that she, 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 she's got this beautiful hair. It's a covering because she's, she separated herself to the Lord. She has covering. She's obedient to him. You go on to verse two and it says, your teeth are like a flock of shown sheep. Now here's your sheep. Um, I ask people, well, what does shown mean? What, what does shown mean? Um, when you shear a sheep is when you take off all the wool, when you know, and, and there's just, there's just nothing left but skin. But you don't, you don't have your, your sheep run around with your skin all the time. They have to grow. But if you let your sheep overgrow the wool, then they get garbage and stuff all in it and it's ugly and, and it can actually be detrimental to their health. So you want to shown your sheep. And shoning means that you've cut off all the excess wool. They still have wool on them, 
but you've cut off all the excesses, picking up the garbage and the hindrances, and 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 then and then you wash them down so they're nice and clean, so they're clean, and you cut off all the excess and there's not trash in them, and so this is this is what he's comparing um, or, uh, the the teeth like. Now the teeth is very symbolic for what you eat with. Is what do you eat? You have to chew. Um, sheep, um, uh, you know, sheep or, or something that, um, you know, they'll they'll they're like a cow. They'll they, they like the 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 chew and then they'll regurgitate and chew some more. Part of that digestive process. God says your teeth. In other words, we're chewing on God's word. And it's like the shown flock. In other words, we do it so that we cut away all the garbage from the world that wants to attach itself to it so that we're, we're clean. We, we still have our wool, so to speak, but we're not, we don't have the garbage of the world in it, the world in us. Verse three, your lips are like a strand of scarlet. Your mouth is lovely. Um, um, we could we could talk. Uh, we, we you got that the, the mouth the mouth is what speaks. Scarlet thread. Uh, you know I think these are pretty common ideas. Rahab put the scarlet the scarlet thread out of her of her window so that she, she wouldn't um, she wouldn't be destroyed when Israel was coming into Jericho. Uh, the scarlet thread represents the blood of Jesus, and so the mouth of this woman. Um, is lovely because it's speaking about the blood of Jesus. Um, a pomegranate. Uh, I mean, excuse me, her temples behind the veil are like like a pomegranate. Well, pomegranates, you know, they're you you look at the fruit. It's got a heart on the outside. It's hard on the outside. You don't eat the outside. You have to cut it open to get stuff you eat. When you cut it open, it looks like there's all these red crystals, beautiful red crystals all on the inside. And of course, we can say the red represents the blood of Jesus, but these these, these little crystals in there—they're seeds. And that's what you're eating—is the seeds out of a pomegranate. But it's it's really neat looking when you open up one. And the word of God is like a seed. Um, there are lots of parables about God sowing His word, the seed, um, into us, and 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 we have to eat it. Well, the the, the temples place of will, a place of, in, in, in your mind, where God's word is like a seed. We've implanted his word <clears throat> into us. And of course, the scriptures, you know, if, uh, if, if a seed falls to the ground and dies and it grows and produces fruit. So there's these seeds that, from the Lord. And, and, and with it being the pomegranate, this is real representation, not just the blood of Jesus in the mind protecting the woman but the the red crystalline look is, is is like a jewel it's like a gifting to the mind and it's something that you put behind the veil because it's something that we want to treasure when you have a treasure you want you want to, to hide that treasure so she's 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 taking the word and hiding it uh, with, within her mind. It's something she can meditate on. And it makes it makes her beautiful. Verse 4, the neck is like a tower of David built for an armory. Now we've talked about the neck again earlier in the chapter. Neck represents your will. It is your will. <clears throat> the body connects to the, the Christ is the head. The church is the body. We connect to Christ through our will. And here the woman's will is compared to a tower of David built like an armory this is your will 
has been through battle. You've seen battle. You're not stiff-necked and stubborn. You haven't been taken hostage by sin, but you know how to do spiritual warfare. It hangs, it says, like a thousand bucklers, shields a mighty man. This is a will that understands warfare, and understands spiritual warfare, and it stands strong like the Tower of David, where it's going to, David, David had a heart of God. Your will has got a heart. It's going to grab hold of the Lord, and it's going to fight those battles. Um, verse 5, your two breasts are like fawns, twin gazelles feed among the lilies. You know, again, if you're reading this, as a man and woman and, and at a bride in a little a literal context, you, you look at this really differently in a sexual way, but this is not what this is. This is speaking about a fawn and feeding. See, the breasts are what feed the fawns. Fawns are baby deers. They have to feed off the breast of the mother. And these fawns are like twin gazelles. They they're feed, which feed among the lilies. We go back again in chapter 1. We talked about the lily of the valley. The lily of the valley isn't Jesus. It's the church. The church is the lily in the valley. And the lily in the valley is surrounded by thorns and the cares of the world. And so here, the church is being compared to you're like a mama deer that's feeding two baby fawns amongst the lilies, which are amongst the thorns. In other words, the, 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 the bride is able to feed and nourish young. You know, we are called to make disciples. That is the calling. It's the great commission of Jesus to us, his people. The church is called to make disciples, to reproduce. And so we hear the bride is able to take care of young believers and to shepherd them. And they do this. They feed them among the lilies because the church is the lily of the valley. And amongst the cares of the world, we're able to, to impart to young uh, again, this is what the Lord is saying about us. Verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. We had that powerful scripture about the dark. Until the day breaks and shadows flee. This is talking about when Jesus comes back, his second coming. That's when the new heaven and new earth comes. That's when we there will be light from God and there won't be any shadows. The sun will always produce the shadow, but there will be a day when we get a new heaven and new earth, and God will be our light, and we won't need a sun, and there will be no shadows. No shadows, because the light of God encompasses us, and until the day breaks. And so that's what this reference is, the second comes. So until this day, until the day he comes back, it says what? I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You know, this is almost like saying, I'm going to go to the mountain of the Lord. But this, the, the myrrh and frankincense, again, we've covered this. These were tops of anointing oil. The myrrh, uh, anointing for uh, dead bodies, for death, frankincense, uh, anointing oils that were used in, 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 in sacrifices for life. You know, anything is about, is about life, uh, anointing. And so here's the Lord saying, so until I come back, you need, you need to go and get that anointing that comes from the resurrection, the life and death of Christ. And then again in verse 7, he says, You are all fair, my love, and there's no spot in you. Again, the groom is telling his bride a repeated time that you're fair. And then he even defines that as there's no spot in you. In the New Testament, it says what? That when we there'll be a day we'll see the Lord and we'll be... We'll have no, there'll be no blemishes, no spot, no blemish. Uh, 
in us when we stand before the Lord because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he just says, but before he declares us, there's no spot. He says what? That he goes to the, the mountain of myrrh and frankincense, you know, and you know, Jesus literally went to the Mount Calvary and died for us. And then he rose again in life. Uh, so he's got the anointing of life and death upon him. Verse eight <clears throat> says, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse with me from Lebanon. Look, from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon, the lion's dens, the mountains of leopards. Again, there's this appeal that the Lord is saying, come away with me. Come away with me. You know, we have that chapter where we're telling Jesus, come away, you know, come away with us, Lord. Come away with us. Uh, come, Lord Jesus. Now here's the Lord saying, come away with me. But he says, from Lebanon. And, and I ask a question. With this being Solomon and Israel and all this stuff, shouldn't it be come away from Zion? Shouldn't be come away from Israel. See, this isn't come away from Israel and come away from Zion because the bride is in Lebanon. In other words, the bride is in the world. This isn't a place of believers. This isn't the, the hill of the Lord. We're in the world. It's part of the Great Commission. We're supposed to, you know, be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God will call us forth from the Lebanons. He's going to come call us. And let's look at this more. He says, look from the top of Amana. Now, <clears throat> Amana means covenant. It means covenant. Um, it can also, um, gives the idea that it's also translated as a place of settled security. It can also mean place of settled security. Let me expand this some more. The root word, the Hebrew root for Amana, is where we get our English word, Amen, or Amen. It comes this word Amana. You know, Amen means, so be it. So do you see, when we say Amen, so be it, we're referencing it to what? It's, it's, it's already done, so let it happen. You know, God, I pray this, Amen, so be it. So let it happen. So Amana is this, it's as, it's a place where it's already been settled. It's settled security because of the covenant. So when the Lord says, come away with me from Lebanon, he's doing it from the top of a place of settled security of a covenant. You know, Jesus purchased our new covenant with his blood on Calvary. You know, Sinir means a place of sleeping. There's a, if you look at the parable of the ten virgins in the New Testament, they go up on a mountain to wait for what? The groom to come and get them. And they fall asleep. Here the Lord's saying, come with me from Lebanon. And he's going from the top of Amana, from the place to come, from the top of Sinir, it's a mountaintop, which is the place of sleeping. And Hermon. Hermon denotes revelation. It's the place of revelation. You know, what happened with those ten virgins? They were sleeping, and all of a sudden the voice went out, the bridegroom is coming, and they get up and they're going to light up their lamps. Well, think about Where did the voice come from? Who's speaking in that parable? I know we're not doing a, a teaching on the parable of the ten virgins, but that voice was revelation. God awakens. He brings revelation to the church that we wake up. We wake up out of our sleep. And he's waking us up because of the covenant 
from a place of security. And he's saying, come away with me. And then it goes on to say, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. Listen, what was the lion's den? It's like Daniel. He's been thrown in a lion's den because he refused to bow down to the laws <clears throat> of the world. He, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't conform. Uh, the mountains of leopards, leopards, uh, there's a lot about the leopard representing the authority, the kingly authority of Gentiles. And, and I don't want to get into all that in the history of Genesis and stuff. But so you have this thing about the Lord's coming to get the church that we're literally in lion's dens. Now, again, you got to understand that we're not literally, but the type of tr- trouble that we are in because the authorities of the Gentile world, they're ready to kill us. They're ready to put us in lion's dens and kill us because we refuse to bow. And it's from this mountaintop that the bride has been sleeping. And the revelation goes forth because of the covenant of God. And he's saying, come with me. Come with me. And it, and, and and from this place, he goes, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes. Ravish means to excite, to inflame the heart, to overcome with joy and delight. Think about it. One look from our eyes inflames the heart of God. He becomes overcome with joy and delight. When you turn your eyes to Jesus, when you seek him to talk to him in prayer and spend time with him, you ravish him. His heart is so overjoyed with that because he loves us and he wants to spend time with us. And this is what he's saying as he's saying, come with me. Because the world has become such a dark place. And then he calls you my sister, my spouse. <clears throat> now, it's it's interesting. Today, we don't, we don't marry our, our sisters. Men don't marry sisters. And I know you can go back in biblical times. You get Abraham married a half-sister. And, and But we need to understand, this is the groom talking to the bride. In the New Testament, Jesus calls his disciples brothers. And Paul says that we have become, Christ has made us joint heirs. He's made us co-heirs with him. Here when he says my sister, he's espousing equality with us. And then he says my spouse. By the way, this is the first time in scripture or in this, on this portion, the Song of Solomon, that we're called a spouse. See, if bride isn't a spouse, because you can be a bride, but you haven't walked down the aisle yet. You haven't said, I do, but you're, you're the bride, but you haven't completed the ceremony. But the minute you say, I do, and you're a husband and wife, now you're a spouse. Now, now you're married. And so here, when the Lord comes for his bride, he says, come away from Lebanon. And he takes us off the mountain where we were sleeping through revelation and we were in trouble. He says, you're my spouse. We're now married. And he also says, my, my sister. He's making us co-heirs. That's why we're brothers and sisters with Christ. When I'm not ever going to literally be equal to God. That's what the cults try to teach you. That's what heresy is, is that, oh, we're going to be like, we're going to be like, we're going to be equals to God. I'll never be God because I'm an inferior creature. But he still made the spot for us. Think about it. Satan was thrown out of hell because he wanted to sit on the throne. Jesus loves you so much. He scoots over and he wants you to sit down with him on the throne. 
I like to think of this type of equality that he's offering us. It's like when I was little, back in the 70s, when I was a little baby, early 70s, we had this old pickup truck. And we'd be driving. I can remember we were driving through Dallas on the turnpike back in the day when they had the turnpike. And my dad would take me, and he would set me on his lap, and he'd put my hands, and I thought I was driving that truck. And I just I was just driving that truck away. But the reality is that he was driving. I wasn't driving that truck. I thought I was. He had me in the lap. I had access to all the controls. He was really driving. But you know what? I thought I was. I had my hands on the steering wheel. It was that's the, the co air thing is is that Jesus is putting us on the throne that even though we don't deserve and we can't handle, he's gonna put us on his lap and he's gonna he's gonna let us think, hey, let's go drive the universe. Let's go drive the universe. And we're going to have such a fun time doing it. He's got, he's in control. He's got it all. But it's his love. It's his love of your father in heaven to share that intimate moment with us. That's what this is. This is this, this part of this um, thing here being, being a sister of Christ. And, and it's difficult. There are, we, we have to sometimes get, remember that he's not doing the male and female thing here like some trans thing. This is about, in the New Testament, we're called brothers in Christ. Well, that applies to women. And here he's calling the bride a sister. I'm a man, but I'm part of the bride of Christ because that's the church. Now let's get to this necklace thing because he talks about all the links to the necklace that, that bring him such joy. You know, the neck is the place of the will. So what's a necklace? It's an ornament. It's an ornament, you know, and where did that ornament come from? It's a gift. God gifts us and he puts, he is, it's like he, he puts it on our will and that there are gifts of the spirit because we have looked at him and ravished him with the look. He, he has given us, he's adorned us with these necklaces of these gifts that he's put on us. To, to, to beautify and to, 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 to have us show what it is he's doing to us. I know if I give my wife a necklace, I like to see her wear it. You know, of course, my wife likes, she likes getting necklaces and jewelry. She likes that. But when she wears it, it makes me happy because I know it meant something to her. And God gives us gifts as, as a witness to the world of the love that he has for us and how he's going to back us up. Verse 10, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse? How much better than wine is your love, the scent of your perfume, than all spices? Again, he repeats the phrase, how fair, that God is purified. As God wants us to know we have been purified, he has cleaned us. And there's his love. And again, he denounces, he, he tells us your identity, that, that, that we're, we're the, we're, we're these co-heirs with him, that we are the bride. How much better than, than wine is your love? Anointing is, it, the, the things, those, those gifts, the anointing of God, the Spirit of God, he, he, he looks at the love that he has for us and us for him as something that's so supreme. The scent of all your perfumes. We talked about the scent. It, it is the character traits. We've done this in other chapters already. We went through all the things about the, the, the fragrances. Man, the character of God. He, he considers love above all that. And God's character is pretty serious. But that love is so powerful. Verse 11. 
where he, you know, um, your lips, oh, my spouse drip as honeycomb, honey and milk are under your tongue. Again, there's this thing about the mouth, and the mouth is that that proclaims the word. And what is it, what is the word? What is it that comes out of our mouth? You know, well, it's dripping of honeycomb, and it's got milk and honey is under. Listen, milk and honey, and in, the, in Exodus, they call the promised land the land flowing with milk and honey. It wasn't because milk just fell out of trees in the sky and there's honey everywhere. That's not what it meant. Milk and honey represent abundance. It represents abundance. Milk is what babies need to grow and nourish them. It's the, the, the basic thing to help for life and the sweetness of honey. Um, so it's like a dessert. It brings it brings pleasure. Our mouth is just full of abundance of the goodness and abundance of God. You know, the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we have abundance. Jesus said He didn't come to, to still kill and destroy. He came to bring life and bring it abundantly. And our mouth declares this thing. Verse eleven: The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance. Of Lebanon, he's begun to get into some of these fragrances a little bit. This is your your character, the fragrance of your garments. So there's this thing about our outward behavior, how we carry our speech, our character, has become a fragrance, and we've carried that into the world. The fragrance that God has. Uh, Twelve, a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, streams from Lebanon. Listen, an enclosed garden is one that is private. It's protected. Only the owner can use it. It's not a garden that's open to the public. It's not a garden where wild animals can run through it. It's enclosed. It is protected. You know, originally God created the Garden of Eden and gave it to mankind. And of course, with sin, we fail. Now God is restoring through what Christ has done on the cross. He's restoring. And that garden is now within you. It's within me. It's within the bride. We have become the place of the garden. And he goes, and, and he says that a garden encloses my sister, my spouse. In other words, he's saying that garden is us. We are the garden. We're, we are the temple of God. We are the church. Uh, we, you know, we're the place where God lives. We are the garden that he's created. That we are those things. And it's enclosed. It's private. He's not going to share us with anyone, nor are we going to share ourselves with anyone else. Um, you know, and it's, and again, it's like a spring shut up or a fountain sealed. A fountain of gardens, a well of living water. Jesus said he'd be a well of living water that would come out of us in streams. But these are shut up or sealed because they're not available to anybody. In other words, what he's done in us is between us and him. It's not about, quote, false gods or other idols or other things that we know. This is something between he and us. And it's a very intimate and it's a private thing. And of course, um, he goes on with this. I know, I know we were getting to the end here. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna and spikenard. Spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes and all the chief spices. 
again, he's talking about that garden that's inside us, and this garden is full of what? It's full of fruit. God's poured out our life. We are made to produce fruit. And when we have this this type of relationship with the Lord, we are producing fruit. The day that the Lord comes to returns, we're going to be full of the Spirit and full of His fruit. And of course, He begins describing all these all these trees and and the meanings and the symbolisms. Um, you know, I, I henna. This one came up. What's what's to do with henna? I had someone that said the henna really doesn't smell very good. And I said, well, it comes from a tree. You mix it into a powder with water, and it yields this this red substance. They actually used it for fingernail polish in the times of, of Christ. A um, person asked me, you used it for a hair dye. They said talk, it smelled really bad. They didn't get that fragrance. And I go, well, the, the henna represents ransom. Represents That's what it symbolizes. It, 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 it means ransom. And I go, the ransom that Jesus paid was for our sin. It was his blood. And I go, I go, so when you think about it, the henna that you say smells so bad is the smell of your atonement. And, and, and death smells bad. But on the other side, it brings life. And, and, and likewise, you, you have it going from the henna and the spike with spikenard. Now, spikenard, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a little bit different. That's what the woman put on Jesus to prepare him for, for burial. She, she threw on his feet. He was anointed for that. And so the ransom is, is anointed. And of course, he goes into the spikenard, the saffron, the cinnamon, and all these different, uh, smells. And, and I, I'm out of time with the thing. I can't really get into all the different things they represent. But they go into the, the character of God, the different characters that, that come out from that, that fragrance that, that comes out from us. And then very quickly with the, with the trees and the aloe, I just want to throw in the aloe real quick. You know, aloe was used to make balms for healing. And so you've got out of this garden, out of this thing with Jesus, there's bombs of healing. And of course it ends up saying on all the spices. So this is all the character of God. Verse 16, the bride finally speaks. All these things, this identity that the groom has been given her. You are this. You are this. You are, you are fair. You, uh, you are love. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming to take you. And, and all these things that we've talked about. And finally, the bride speaks and says, Awake, O north wind, and come south. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden. Let him eat its fruits. So here's the bride saying, Come into me. Do what you were. Let your character flow out of me to the world. Come and partake of all the fruit. Because the fruit that we do is for him. All the fruit that we do, all the spirit, is for him. Now let's look at the winds real quickly. She only says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. A north wind is a very strong wind. It represents the Holy Spirit as he reproves or rebukes. So here the whole, the, the Lord has corrected the bride. He's rebuked her. Sometimes we think of rebuke as harsh. But you see, God is rebuking you now. And he's saying, You're not what you think you are. You're not a sinner that's in this thing. You are a saint. You might have been that, but I have made you this. 
He's rebuking us. And it's a rebuke not telling us how bad we are. He's rebuking us, telling us how fair you are, how much you mean to him, how much he loves you. And he's telling you the character that you are. As a church, we need to quit saying, I'm a, I'm a poor sinner. Yes, I'm not denying we were born in sin, but the day I accepted Jesus Christ in my life, I received forgiveness and grace from that sin, and I need to pursue who God says I am and quit worrying about what my past life was like. You know, when I, before I got saved, I was a liar. Well, you know what? I'm saved now. And instead of worrying about the lies in my past, I'm going to become the honest, integrity person that he's calling me to be. And so every day I'm living for the truth. Am I perfect? Do I foul up? You know, yes, we all do. But we're supposed to what? Press on to what he's called us to because there's a day we were standing before him and he will say, you have no spot or blemish. Because he and his blood is cleansing you. That's the rebuke. And the bride says, well, come, bring it to me. I want to be who you are. The south wind represents the Holy Spirit as the comforter. And and he, yes, he's corrected us, but he's comforted us with his words and telling us who we are in his kingdom, who he is restoring us to be. Now, what's not mentioned is the west wind and the east wind. The west wind it represents refreshing. It's in the in the Middle East. It's what brings rain. It's very refreshing. The east wind symbolizes trials and difficulties because that's the wind coming out of the desert and it's very dry and very harsh. Uh, you look in Ezekiel thirty-seven. We see the four winds mentioned, and this is where Ezekiel prophesies to the four winds to blow on the dry bones so that they will live. Um. Interesting things here, and of course it ends with the bride wanting the groom to get all of his fruit and character. And that's like the church saying, you know, everything. let, let the character of the Lord be given to him. Let him come eat his fruit. That's like in Revelation where the, we cast our crowns before his feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. That you're calling us, God, and you are telling us our new identity. That you are proclaiming your love and the work of the cross that has been done in our lives. Lord, help us to say amen, so be it, to what you are calling us to be. Lord, let us respond to your rebuke and your comfort and become the people that you say that we are. And we thank you for your power to cleanse us and to bring us before you. In Jesus' name. Well, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. I know it's a little longer than normal, but we're digging into the Word. It's hard not to go long when you dig into the Word. I pray that it's ministered to you. You can check out other teachings at our website, www.christianimpact.net. And until next time, God bless. (laughs) 